0: Shall we pray as we come to read from God's word and hear God's word preached? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death upon the cross, for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for his resurrection from the dead. For eternal life we're so grateful that you have won salvation for us and shown your great love for us in winning salvation upon the cross lord we pray that now you would show your great love for us once more that you would show your love by blessing us with knowledge from your word through the Holy Spirit. Would you bless us this morning with understanding that we might be able to understand what your word is saying in Isaiah 10 and be able to apply it to our lives. And I pray you bless us with the gift of your spirit once more this morning, that he might come, that he might change us, that we might be more Christ-like this morning as a consequence of reading your word and hearing the word preached. Come, Lord Jesus, glorify yourself. Lift yourself high in our hearts as we read this word and hear it preached. Bring bring great change in our lives, your glory we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. My sermon this morning is entitled The Majestic, Terrifying Gardener. It sounds a bit more like a horror movie than a sermon title. The Majestic, Terrifying Gardener. Gardener. Well, let me assure you, it's not a horror movie as far as I'm aware. I do not know a, a horror movie called The Majestic Terrifying Gardener. Um, but it is a description of God from Isaiah chapter 10. And so that's the title of my sermon, The Majestic Terrifying Gardener. As you may know, we've been going through a sermon series in the book of Isaiah, and we've got to chapter 10. And last week in chapter nine, we saw God's wrath being poured out upon the sin of Israel. We saw that the nation of Israel had been proud, had been prayerless, And had failed completely to care for the poor and needy in the nation of israel and so as a consequence of that sin god had poured out his wrath upon israel he god had raised up the assyrian empire to bring justice upon israel's sin now in chapter 10 verse 5 where i'm going to start our reading this morning isaiah's prophecy changes target In chapter 9, the prophecy was against the nation of Israel, talking about raising up the Assyrians and bringing justice upon the nation of Israel. Israel was the target of chapter 9. But in chapter 10, Isaiah's prophecy targets the Assyrians. God's not just going to bring judgment upon Israel. He will also bring judgment upon the Assyrians. The Assyrians, who are the instrument of God's justice upon Israel have also sinned and done wrong in God's sight, and so will also face the justice and judgment of God. Let's read it. I'm gonna read Isaiah 10, verse five, through to the end of the chapter, verse 34. So, Isaiah 10, verse five, to verse 34. Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him, to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. But he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think. But it is is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations not a few. For he says, Are not my commanders all kings? Is not Calno like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose carved images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to Samaria and her images? When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding, I remove the boundaries of peoples and plunder their treasures like a bull. I bring down those who sit on thrones. My hand was found like a nest. That my hand has found like a nest the wealth of the people's. And as one gathers eggs that have been forsaken, so I have gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved a wing or opened the mouth or chirped. Shall the axe boast over him who hews it with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it? as if a rod should wield him who lifts it, or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled like the burning of fire. The light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land, the Lord will destroy both soul and body. It will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod, and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end, and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be broken because of the fat. He has come to Iath. He has passed through Migron. At Michmash, Ak-mik-m- he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass at Giba, They lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galim. Give attention, O lisha, O poor Anathoth. Mad Menah is in flight. The inhabitants of Gebin flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. I want to begin my sermon this morning by speaking from verses 5 to 19 of Isaiah chapter 10 on the dangers of success. If you're taking notes, the first point this morning is the dangers of success. Or you could have a subtitle for part one of this sermon and the subtitle is You're Such a Tool. So part one, the dangers of success, You're Such a Tool. The error and sin of the Assyrians begins in verse five, where the Assyrians in Isaiah chapter 10 are described as the rod of God's anger. It's absolutely clear in Isaiah 10 verse five that the Assyrians are the tool or the weapon God is using to bring judgment upon Israel. They, the Assyrians are a tool. They are a weapon in God's hands. But God and the Assyrians have different motives in this moment of justice that's being brought upon the land of Israel. God is raising up the Assyrians to bring justice. He wants to punish the people of Israel for their sin. It it says in verse six, um, God says in verse six, against the people of my wrath, I command him. I command Assyria. So God is the commander. It's his motive to bring justice in the land of Israel. But the Assyrians have a different motive and a different goal. Verse 7 begins, speaking of the Assyrians, but he does not so intend. It's God's motive to bring justice upon the land of Israel, but Assyria has a different motive. They have grander ambitions. They want to cut off many nations. It says in verse 7 that they want to cut off not a few nations. In other words, they want to destroy and cut off many nations. In fact, they want it to be so that all the Assyrian commanders can be kings. There'll be so many different territories that Assyria rules over that all the commanders could be kings of different regions. In fact, in verse 11, Assyria's arrogance is so great and their motives so ambitious that the Assyrian king thinks of God, the God of Israel, just like all the other idols of the other nations that Assyria has conquered. In verse 11, the king of Assyria is just essentially saying, God of Israel, you are no mightier than the bits of wood and metal, the other gods that the other nations worship. It's a very offensive and arrogant, proud thing that Assyria says in verse 11, comparing God to the idols of other nations. And so God says in verse 12, that he will punish the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. God is gonna bring punishment upon Assyria for their arrogance and for their boastfulness. It's interesting because last week, the Israelites were proud and arrogant in their defeat. They, they were saying, though the bricks have fallen, though, though we're going to be defeated by Assyria, we will build with dressed stones. We're strong, we're mighty, we're going to recover from this defeat. And so the Israelites were proud and arrogant in defeat. They didn't turn to God in prayer, but they relied on their own strength. This week, the Assyrians are proud and arrogant in their victory. Listen to what The Assyrian king says from verse 13 onwards, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I have understanding. I remove the boundaries, the king of Assyria says. I bring down those who sits on thrones, says the king of Assyria. My hand has found wealth, says the Assyrians. I have gathered all The earth. This is a proud, arrogant, foolish speech from the king of Assyria. He's so full of himself. He's so reliant on his own strength and he's not giving God the glory and thanks he deserves. For raising up the Assyrians. And you know what? At this point, as I wrote my sermon, I stopped, I, I got up, I left my notes at my desk, and I went and prayed and confessed my sin. I confessed to God that I had been arrogant and proud, that I had always tried to take credit for my own successes, and that I had failed to thank God for the way he had brought success in my life. You know, I, I, I felt some of myself in the way that Assyrians speak in this passage. I just had to get on my knees and pray and ask God for his forgiveness, confess my sin and ask God for mercy. And maybe you need to do the same this morning. Maybe there's that stab of guilt, of conviction in your heart right now. As you hear the way the Assyrians speak, you think, actually... I have been proud. I've tried to take credit for my own successes. I have not thanked God for the way he has brought success in my life. And if that's you, just confess your sins in your heart now. So even even if it's helpful, pause the video right now and pray and say, Lord God, forgive me. Have mercy upon me for the, the way I've been proud, the way I've taken credit for my own successes and not thanked you for your help. Because the truth is, in Isaiah chapter 10, The Assyrian king has not done it by his own strength. It's not because his hands are strong. It's not because he was wise. It's not because he had understanding. It's not because he found wealth. He was not mighty enough to bring down thrones. All of those things were God who had given other nations into his hand. It was God's strength. It was God's wisdom. It was God who gathered the nations and gave them to the king of Assyria as an act of justice and judgment in the land. The Assyrian king was simply a tool in God's hand. And that's why in in verse 15, God God kind of mocks the king of Assyria. Imagine if a man wielding an axe chops down a tree, and then when the tree has been chopped down, the axe speaks up and says, hey, Check out how awesome I was in chopping down that tree. I have done it. I am a great axe. I am a wonderful axe. You axeman, you um, woodsman, you are nothing. It's all about me and about my strength. That would be rid- it would be ridiculous. I mean, it would be crazy for the axe to talk at all, but it'd be ridiculous for the axe to boast in that way. The the laborer, the lumberjack, would simply say, "If I didn't pick you up, you would have lain lifeless on the ground and achieved nothing at all." Or imagine a warrior who uses a staff as his weapon, wins a great fighting tournament or, or achieves great things in war using his staff. Imagine at the end of the war, the staff says, wow, I am fantastic. I've done so well in this war. The warrior would say, just a bit of wood. You're just a bit of wood. You're nothing without me. You you would do nothing without me. It's only because I picked you up and used you so skillfully and wonderfully that you have seen great triumphs in this war. You know, it's it's ridiculous for the axe to boast over the lumberjack. It's ridiculous for the saw to boast over the woodsman. It's ridiculous for a staff or a sword to boast over the warrior who wields those weapons. It's the it's the it's the worker. It's the warrior who deserves the praise and the glory. And this is the sin of the Assyrians. The Assyrians are the acts in verse 15. Without God, they were nothing. And this is the danger of success. That when we are successful in life, whether it be in business ventures or whether it be success in family life or whether it be success in our personal life or even success in the church, the danger of success is that we try and take all the glory and all the credit and we boast of how awesome and fantastic we've been. When in reality, the whole time, we've just been tools in the hands of God and God has used us and brought success in our life. And you know what? If you're anything like me, this is a sin that you too are guilty of. You have been proud and arrogant in your own successes and not given God the glory and the praise for the way he has brought success in your life. And so the first application, the first thing I want us to take away from this sermon from Isaiah 10 is this truth. You are a tool in God's hands. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you are a tool in God's hands. You see, the Assyrian king wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a believer in the God of Israel. And yet God uses him as a tool. And so I say to you, whether Christian or not, you are a tool in God's hands. He will use you to achieve his purposes. You are a tool. Now, I know in our culture, when you say to someone, oh, you're such a tool, We say it as an insult. You know, if we were gathered together at the Ashcroft Arts Centre right now, I would make a joke about this. I'd say something like, Johnny, you're such a tool. Um, Johnny is a wonderful brother in Christ, um, and that would simply be a joke. It's hard to make jokes when you're preaching to a camera rather than really preaching to a group of people. But imagine if I said that to Johnny, Johnny, you're such a tool. I'd be saying that as an insult in our culture. You're such a tool is an insult. I'd be saying you're being used by someone and you're so much of an idiot you can't even see that you're being used. You're such a tool. It's an insult. But when we speak of being a tool in God's hands, that's not an insult. In fact, for the Christian to be a tool in the hands of God is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so I say this to you, as an encouragement if you're a Christian, you are a tool in God's hands. He is using you to achieve his wonderful purposes. Maybe that's even worth stopping and thinking about and dwelling on now. I'm a tool in the hands of God. Maybe think about what tool you would be. How is God using you? To achieve his purposes. You know, maybe you consider yourself like a hammer. It says in Isaiah. 2 verse 4 they shall hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks in in other words what the hammer does is transform weapons into farming equipment the hammer is a peacemaker one who ends war and and leads us into peace so maybe you think of yourself as like a hammer you're like a peacemaker whether where two people are in conflict you're good at reconciling those two people whether where there's arguments you bring peace and a gentleness and a freedom from worry. Maybe you're a hammer with, and you're a peacemaker. Or maybe you're a drill, and and just as a drill. To, drills two bits of wood together quickly and easily. You're like a drill and you connect people. You connect people with organizations. You 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 know that there are the two churches in theorem and if they work together on this particular project they can do a great thing for God. And you're like a drill and you connect those two ministries or two churches together or you connect people. You maybe you connect people to Christ Church and You bring people in and connect them in with the church. Maybe you're a drill. Maybe you're a pen. A pen is a tool. Maybe you're a pen and God is using you to write down great truths. Maybe you're a poet and, and you can write poems that encourage others or, or you're writing complicated academic articles that bring truth into the world. Maybe you're a pen or maybe you're a loudspeaker, and God is using you to, to declare his good news, to declare his message of hope to as many people who would stop and listen. You're like a megaphone in the hands of God and he's using you to proclaim the message loudly and clearly to all. Or maybe you're Maybe like a hammer and chisel or a, an artist's paintbrush in the hand of God. And you're creative and artistic and God is using you to create art for his glory, to, to craft beauty in this world. After all, God is the creator God and he's a God of beauty. And so he, he creates people like paintbrushes so that he might use them to bring more and more beauty into this world. That's the way God achieves his purposes in this world. Think about what tool are you? In the hands of God, how is He using you to achieve His purposes? You know, maybe that's um, something to write in the comments if you're listening right now. Why don't you write in the comment what tool of God you consider yourself to be and how God is using you? Or maybe that's something to think about and meditate on this week. Each and every one of us is a tool in the hands of God. So that's the first thing we should take away as we think about the danger of success and the way the Assyrians were puffed up by that success. Rather, we should think of ourselves as a tool in God's hand. And if you're a Christian and you know God's love and you share God's vision of establishing a kingdom of earth, a kingdom of peace and love and grace, and you know what a wonderful thing that is, you know that God's purposes are fantastic. You should be in so encouraged by that. You should be warmed by the fact that you are a tool in God's hands. You should be very open and say, Lord, use me as your tool to achieve your purposes. The, the second way I want to apply this teaching on the dangers of success is that we might turn all our successes back to God in thanksgiving. Let us turn all our successes Back to God in thanksgiving. I remember when I was a teenager, I went to one of these summer Christian conferences, and um, I went to a seminar, and and the seminar was led by a man whose name I cannot remember, um, but it was fantastic. It was it was on the Sermon on the Mount and it was a really fantastic seminar. In fact, it was so good that after the seminar, there was like a queue of people who wanted to thank this man for the teaching that he brought on the Sermon on the Mount. There was this long, long queue of people. I was in that queue. I just wanted to say that was fantastic. You've just opened my eyes to understand the Sermon on the Mount so much better. There's this queue of people wanting to say thank you to him after his first seminar. The next day he did of this Christian conference, he did another seminar and more people came because it was the first one was so good and they told their friends and they brought a large crowd. And so this man opened the second seminar by saying something along these lines. He said, I want to say thank you to all of you who came and thanked me for yesterday's seminar. It was clear that God's Holy Spirit really moved in the room and the teaching that God brought through me was extremely helpful to many, many people. I just want to tell you how I handle that praise and that success. And the answer is that when someone says to me, thank you for what I've brought to teaching, I will simply say, thank you. I really appreciate the encouragement back. And that's what he did. When I said thank you to him, he said, no problem. Thank you for your encouragement, really appreciate it. But he said, what I do afterwards is I go back into my quiet private place. I go back to my room and I take all the praise and thanks that I have received, and I give it to God as thanks and praise that he deserves. He said, I pray prayers like this. Lord, I have been thanked a hundred times today. Lord, may all those thanks go to you, for it is you who used me as your tool. I have received lots of praise in my teaching. Lord God, that praise is for you. That praise is given over to you, and so I praise you this evening, I give you thanks and praise. I think that is an amazing way to handle success in life. Instead of boasting in our own achievements, we take all the thanks and praise that we receive in life and we give that thanks and praise to God in prayer quietly at the end of the day. I, want, I think this should be a habit that Christians should develop. And wouldn't it be amazing if the end of each day, we take all our successes of the day and we just say, Lord God, thank you for that. You deserve the praise. You used me as your your tool. I was a tool in your hands. You deserve the thanks and the praise for this moment in my life. Now, I, I think it would be great if that would become a habit in our lives, that we would turn all our successes back to God in thanks and praise. I also think it's a worthy exercise. If you've never done this this afternoon, find some time and think about your life and think about the successes you've had. Think about your successes in the workplace. Think about your successes in your personal life. Think about the academic qualifications that you might have got. Think about the family members that you might have raised. I mean, to raise a family is a wonderful success and blessing of God. Think about any success you've ever had in church, whether you've served in a particular way or you've done a particular thing in church. Think about churches that have grown, that you've been a part of. Take all successes in life and list them and then say to God, those successes are your successes I praise you and glorify you and thank you. May you get the glory from those successes. That would be a really healthy way of humbling yourself and honouring God this afternoon. So let us learn from the Assyrians' bad example. Let us remember that all of us are tools in God's hand. Let us not be proud and arrogant, but turn all our successes back to praise and thanksgiving towards god i want to make two further points from isaiah chapter 10 and the first of those points is from verses 20 to 27 and the point is this the remnant will return because of assyria's sin god will destroy assyria completely it says in verse 25 god speaking for in a little while, my fury will come to an end. He's talking there about his fury towards Israel. For in a little, little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed towards their, the Assyrian destruction. My fury towards Israel will end and my, my, my anger will be directed towards the Assyrians to bring about their destruction. Uh, and so the good news For Israel in Isaiah chapter 10, this is terrible news for Assyria, but there's good news here for Israel in verses 20 to 21, because there will be a remnant in Israel who survive. Israel will not be completely destroyed. There will be a remnant who return. Look closely at verses 20 to 21 with me. What are the distinguishing characteristics of this remnant that survive? And if you look closely at verse 20 to 21, you'll see firstly that these people, this remnant, stop leaning on other nations. They stop relying on other things and instead they lean on God. This remnant remnant of Israel lean on God. And I want to urge each and every one of you watching this video, it participating in the service this morning, would you lean on God with all that you are? He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of your soul. He is the great joy giver. He is the wonderful peacemaker. He is a sure foundation. He is the all-loving and all-powerful one. And so lean upon him. Don't lean on your own strength or your own understanding. Don't lean upon the people in your family. Don't lean upon the leaders in this nation or the leader of other nations. Don't. Lean upon God. He is the all-loving, all-powerful one. Say it out loud now, if it's helpful to you. Say, I lean on God. I rely upon him. He is my sure foundation. He is the rock on which I stand. And this remnant, the first characteristic of this remnant that survived the Assyrian invasion in Israel is that they lean on God. They trust him with all that they are. And we can. We can trust God. With all that we are, we can lean on him in all things. Everything that we do, pray, Lord, I trust you in this. Help me in this. Through through self-isolation and through lockdown, Lord, I trust you. I rely on you. Help me through this situation. The, the remnant from Israel lean on God. And secondly, in verse 21, they return to God. It says in verse 21, they return to the mighty God. Now, do you remember at the start of chapter nine, a couple of weeks ago, we we preached on Jesus and him being this son that, that would be given, this Messiah that would be born. And Jesus, at the start of Isaiah chapter nine, is described, one of the names he's given is Mighty God. And so if we've understood Isaiah chapter nine correctly, when we come to this verse in Isaiah 10, verse 21, we realise That to return to the mighty God means to return to Jesus Christ. Jesus is called mighty God and the remnant of Israel set us an example by returning to the mighty God. And so this is a call for all who want to survive God's wrath to return to Jesus, return to Jesus. You know, each and every one of us has wandered away from Jesus Christ. We have sinned against him. We've been proud. We've been prayerless. We've been selfish and not cared for the poor and needy in our society. We have rejected Jesus's teaching. And as we've rejected Jesus's teaching, we've turned away and we've wandered away from Jesus Christ in our sin. But Jesus died on the cross to make a way For people who had rejected him to return to him. Jesus' death upon the cross secured forgiveness for sin, so that anyone who believes in Christ would be forgiven the things they've done wrong. Or that that great distance that as we wandered away from Christ, as we as we wandered away from him, that great distance becomes. Uh, reconciled in Jesus' death upon the cross, he he over overcomes that great distance. His death upon the cross removes all those sins that have formed a blockade and a great distance between us and God us and God, so that all who believe in Christ can return to Jesus. This is the good news. Be in the remnant of Israel. But survive the wrath of God by returning to Christ, receiving forgiveness through his death upon the cross. Jesus' death upon the cross opened the way that you might return to the mighty God. And so I urge anyone watching this, all of you at home, return to the mighty God, each and every one of you. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Speak that to God in prayer right now. Say, Lord God, I, I return to you. Forgive my sin. May I come back to you. I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong, but thank you for your forgiveness as I return to you. For this is the way to escape God's wrath is to be part of this remnant that leans on God and returns to Jesus Christ. In the New Testament where it says, repent, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about turning from your sin, because the word repentance means turning, turning from your sin and returning to the mighty God, returning to Jesus Christ. So the wicked, violent Assyrians will be defeated, but the remnant will survive. That's the kind of overarching message of Isaiah chapter 10. The wicked, violent Assyrians will be defeated and destroyed and judged for their sin, but there will be a remnant in Israel that will survive. And so I guess the final question is, how can we be sure God will be victorious? I'm sure the the Israelites may have thought that question. Here's this promise that a remnant will survive. How can we be sure that God will be victorious over the Assyrians? And we can ask that same question now as well. How can we be sure that God will be victorious? We're, there's a there's a pandemic in the world right now. How can we sh- be sure that God will be victorious and that we will be saved through forgiveness by Jesus Christ? And, and so my my final point from Isaiah chapter 10 is a reminder of the awesome power of God that gives us confidence that God will be victorious. And Isaiah chapter 10, I think gives us two strategies. If you ever doubt God will be victorious in this world, Isaiah 10 gives us two strategies for increasing our faith in God's victory. The first strategy is to remember God's past triumphs. Have a look at verse 26. It says in verse 26, the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip. I mean, let's just pause there. That is a kind of a scary picture of God holding a whip and whipping the Midianites. The Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. and his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. Uh, The Rock of Orev is the place where Gideon defeated the Midianites. Gideon took 300 men and defeated at least 135,000 Midianites in war because of the power of God. How could 300 conquer so many? It was only because God was awesome and God, with his whip, was driving back the Midianites. And then God references the story of Egypt. And many of us know this story, the way Moses lifted up his staff. And the Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked through the Red Sea to the other side. But the Egyptian army followed them into the water and chased them down. But just as the last Israelite got to the other side, God, having drawn back the waters, made them flood over again that the Egyptian army was destroyed. And so. Isaiah gives the Israelites two reminders of great victories that God has won over enemy armies, over the Midianites and over the Egyptians. God's great victories in the past inspire faith in the present. If you're struggling this morning to have faith that God will be victorious, remember God's previous great victories in your life and in history in the Bible. Our second strategy for increasing our faith and reminding us of God's great awesome power is a powerful image that Isaiah gives us at the end of verse 10. And the image that Isaiah gives us is the title of this sermon that I mentioned right at the beginning. It's a a picture of God as a majestic, terrifying gardener. Listen to verses 33 and 34. Behold, The Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. You see there God is described as terrifying, he has terrifying power. He's also described as majestic as he chops down trees and lops off boughs and destroys thickets and thorns in the forest you know one thing um, rachel and i have been able to do during this lockdown season is spend more time in our garden and our garden was growing a bit wild and out of control but we've had more time to kind of to chop things back and cut things back and and mow the lawn a bit more and and all of those things and can i tell you it's hard work i'm using electrical equipment so i'm using a hedge trimmer and a lawnmower and even a chainsaw at times to cut things back and get our garden over under control but it's really hard work and I grow tired very, very quickly working in the garden to kind of get these plants under control. I get tired very, very quickly, but God here in Isaiah 10 is portrayed as powerful and tireless. He's not using electrical equipment. He's relying on his own strength and power as he lops off boughs and he cuts back the thickets. If you look at at verse 17, in fact, this garden imagery starts in verse 17, um, where God is described as a fire devouring thorns and briars in one day. Imagine, if you will, the most wild, overgrown garden you've ever imagined with great, big, strong, mighty trees. That's a metaphor for the sin of Israel and Assyria in Isaiah 10. And then God enters in justice and judgment with majestic but terrifying power. And he tames this garden. He cuts down the branches. He cuts back the trees. He, he burns up the, the thorns and the briars and and suddenly this garden is is returned to to this this state of being under control but there's lots of stumps and there's branches cut off in this garden as God, mighty, terrifying, majestic gardener, uh, enacts his will upon this garden. I hope that picture gives you confidence in the awesome power of God to be victorious. And one of the most exciting things about this picture is that it continues into chapter 11, because in chapter 11, there's a stump of Jesse, which is a metaphor for the remnant of Israel. And from the stump of Jesse, a shoot grows and this shoot will be a righteous one who will bring salvation to the nation of Israel. We'll talk about that next week. This garden metaphor continues, from the stumps that God has left in this garden, a shoot of righteousness will grow. So as I draw to a close this morning, let us heed the warning of the Assyrians in Isaiah chapter 10, let us know the dangers of success let's not fall into arrogance and pride let's think of ourselves as tools in god's hand he's using us to achieve his purposes and let's turn back all our successes to god in praise let's not praise ourselves let's not boast in ourselves but let's turn back all our successes to god in praise let's remember the remnant of israel and like the remnant of israel let us lean on god and return to christ in faith. And finally, let us be confident in God's victory. He will be victorious. He will defeat evil and sin in this world. And we, Christians, believers in Christ, God's children will enter into an eternal kingdom of glory. Let's hold on to, let's increase our faith in God's victory by picturing God, the majestic and terrifying gardener, and also by remembering his past victories in history. For those things will give us renewed faith and confidence in the victory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have been proud and arrogant, that we have taken credit for our own successes, that we have relied upon ourselves, That we have not thought of ourselves as tools in your hand and therefore not given you the worship and praise and thanksgiving that you are worthy of. And so, Lord, I pray right now you would humble us and you would forgive us. Forgive us our sin of pride and arrogance. And Lord, I pray from this day forth by the power of the Holy Spirit, we might think of ourselves as tools in your hand and that you might use us for great purposes to see great successes in life. But whenever those successes and purposes come, Lord, may we always give praise back to you, knowing that you are the one who wields us. You are, you are the gardener. You are the warrior. You are the, the lumberjack who wields the tools. And we are simply tools in your hand. And so you deserve the glory and the praise and the thanksgiving. I pray we would be like the remnant of Israel. May we return to Christ this morning and may we lean on you in all things. And I pray too that we would be confident of your victory. Lord, I pray that we would remember your past victories in scripture and take confidence from those But Lord, I also pray that we would heed this this picture of your terrifying majesty as the one who cuts down trees and burns up briars and thorns. Lord, you are truly mighty. You are truly awesome. And we bow before you this morning, humbly giving you the praise and worship you are worthy of. I pray that glorious, majestic, terrifying picture of you would humble us, but give us complete boldness and faith and confidence in you to achieve your victory here on earth. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.